Welcome to The Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination, Extra Blooms Edition. These Extra Blooms episodes are revisits of our past guest. My co-producer, Angela Washington, and I very often find ourselves sharing updates with each other. Oh gosh, did you see what that guest was up to? Did you see what they did? Did you see that? Did you see that? And we figured that if we get excited seeing what new things they're accomplishing, that you might too. So these Extra Blooms editions are that, a little extra where we revisit with a past guest to see what else has gone on since last we spoke. Maybe they've got a new passion project, a new idea, a new book, a new accomplishment, and we like to share that. So feel free to go to themorningglorieproject.com to listen to any previously aired episode. And we love it if you write a comment, share it out, give us a review, and let others know. Of course, you can always subscribe to The Morning Glory Project across all of the podcasting platforms. That way you just never miss an episode. So welcome to the Morning Glory Project. I'm glad you're here today, and I know that you'll love hearing from our Extra Bloom guest. I'm ever so happy to welcome back to the Morning Glory Project for this Extra Blooms edition, Toby Dore. Toby dared the unthinkable. In 2006, she broke a convicted murderer out of the Lansing Correctional Facility. Since completing her time in federal prison, she has achieved two master's degrees and rebuilt a broken life. Since her first visit to the Morning Glory Project back in 2019, Toby has been making good on her promises to herself and her community. She's written and published what she calls her Unleashed series, a series of three workbooks to help women gain strength and power, and to avoid the mistakes that Toby herself has made. Through her memoir, Living with Conviction, Unexpected Sisterhood, Healing, and Redemption in the Wake of Life-Altering Choices, Toby takes readers through all of the heart-pounding, tear-jerking, heartbreaking, eye-opening experiences that touch the most primal human need, the need to be significant. A fascinating prison tale, through the lens of love inspires change. You can find out more about Toby and her experience at tobydor.com. That's T-O-B-Y-D-O-R-R.com. Toby, welcome to the Morning Glory Project. I'm so happy to have you back and happy to talk about what you've accomplished since we've last spoken. Thanks so much, Betsy. I'm thrilled to be here. So Toby, for those who didn't get to listen, who haven't yet listened. (laughs) I hope they'll go back and listen after this. But for those who haven't yet listened to that first episode that we recorded, could you tell me kind of the Reader's Digest version of of your original story of how you ended up starting out as what I think people would call a traditional housewife in lots of ways? Yes. And tell me a bit about that story. So I had the what seemed to be the perfect white picket fence life. I had a corporate job, a husband, two children. And, you know, I presented to the world this image of a perfect life because I wanted to believe it was perfect. But there came a point in my life where I realized that it wasn't. And I started a prison dog program in 2004. And so by prison dog program, meaning that you brought dogs into the prison and they bonded with the the prisoners and they helped train them, right? 
Yes. So I took stray dogs from shelters and all the dogs I took were going to be put to sleep. And I took them into the prison and I worked with the inmates Mm -hmm. to teach them how to train the dogs. And we obedience trained and house trained and socialized the dogs. And then I took them out for adoption. But in the meantime, I fell in love with one of my dog handlers. Wait, one of your dog handlers, not outside the prison, but inside. Right. All my dog handlers were inmates inside the prison. And I fell in love with one of them. Uh, it was something so uncharacteristic, so out of character for me that it surprised even me because I was Miss Perfect who never did anything wrong. And all of a sudden, you know, I met this person who made me feel significant, which is what I had been searching for my whole life. Without even really knowing that that's what you were looking for. Exactly. Exactly. So it was just blindsided me. And You know, one thing led to another and then he was talking about getting out of prison and I, I thought it was a game at first. It felt like a game and we were just playing a game, but I ended up helping him escape from prison. We were on the run for 12 days, got caught and I got a 27 month prison sentence. So the real story is not the escape and that's not what's in my book, but the real story is the work it took to rebuild myself to figure out all the places I was broken and all the old wounds I'd been carrying throughout my life and to go back in and dig those all out and work through them and heal them properly. And then to find a way to rebuild a life when I got out of prison with practically no money and no job and no idea of where I was going to go or what kind of future I was going to build. And the loss of lots of people that couldn't deal with the fact that you'd made such a tragic and terrible mistake. Yes. Including family members. Yes. Yes. I had family members who to this day still haven't gotten over the embarrassment uh, that someone in their family would do such a ridiculous, uh, disgusting thing. Well, and let's say also this event did get huge publicity. You got labeled, what was it? The, the uh, dog lady of the dog lady of Lansing prison. So that's what you were known as for kind of helping folks. And then when it Mm -hmm. all went bust, when you made this tragic choice, then this was a huge embarrassment in your community. You were known. You couldn't go to the grocery store. (laughs) Right. I couldn't go out to eat. If I went out to eat when I got out of prison, people would be pointing at me. So yeah, it was all over the news and it was impossible to hide from it. And our community that I lived in, our town, even though Kansas City is a big town, the community we lived in was a smaller community. It was Kansas City, Kansas, and everybody knew everybody. And so my... Family members would go to work, my sisters, and people would ask them about their, Toby, and and they would just like to not talk about it. They'd like to not even, you know, to pretend it never even existed. So we had to work through some issues. Well, we didn't really work through them. We just had to agree that we weren't going to be able to work through them and, and move on in our own directions. So you lost... A lot because of this choice. Yes, I did. You lost family members that no longer wanted to be associated with you, including your own son. My own son. That's correct. Yes. And other loved ones, community members. You lost your savings because you had cashed that in to help this escape happen. That's correct. Certainly your marriage ended. Yes. uh, No doubt. And that's perfectly understandable. And by the way, it's not unreasonable for people to have been pretty frustrated and disappointed and embarrassed and angry and all of those things. No, it's not at all. 
But but I love what you said in our first conversation, Toby, which is that you didn't have to be your worst mistake. That's right. <laughs> and that's kind of been my motto ever since. None of us are our worst mistakes. If ever, everyone in the world was only known for the worst thing they ever did, it would be a pretty sad place. And I believe in a world of second chances and redemption and unconditional love. And that's the world that I want to send out to the rest of the people. Hmm. So you went to prison for how many months did you serve? 27 months. So more than two years in prison is a lot of time (laughs) to sit and think. And you, I recall from our first conversation, you said that you know, at first, of course, you were just stunned and couldn't believe you were there. And how did this happen? There was kind of, there had to be kind of a fog period of what the hell, <laughs> you know. That really was, that's true. Then that changed for you. Yes. The kind of fog cleared a bit and you made some decisions. And why don't you tell me about that? I did. So I realized that I could live forever in this slimy goop of shame, or I could rise myself out of that goop and, and admit, you know, I did something stupid. I did something really wrong, but now it's time for me to move past it. I can't dwell on that. I have to move beyond it and I have to find something, uh, some purpose, some reason to move on. And I had a revelation in prison. I was on suicide watch and I was, you know, just trying to figure out what I was doing here, why God wouldn't just let me die because it seemed like the best answer to everything. And you could have, by the way, there was a car accident there. You were with a felon. Yes. A high speed car chase into a tree at a hundred miles an hour. It was just so crazy all the times that I could have not made it. And I did. And I just had to believe that there was some purpose in that. And while I was on suicide watch, I heard a voice tell me that I needed to tell my story, that the world needed to hear my story and that I could change women's lives with my story. And so that gave me purpose. It gave me a reason to continue and it emboldened me and it empowered me. And I knew I could rise past the muck I was in and find a way to make something in the world. Well, and I want to clarify something here too, because Toby, in my acquaintance with you, I've become clear that when you say I need to tell my story, you're not talking about falling in love with a prisoner and doing a great escape. No, that's not the story that I'm telling. The story I'm trying to tell is that it is possible to rebuild your life, that no matter how far you've fallen or how dire your circumstances seem or how hopeless the future looks, there is a way you can redeem yourself. You can pull yourself out of that muck and you can rebuild your life. And I hope to inspire other women with my story so that they can look at me and say, if she could pull herself out of that pit, I can get through what I'm going through too. Well, and let's talk about that pit for a second, because you didn't arrive, you didn't go from being a law abiding citizen to boom, helping a guy out of prison. You went from being a person who, who had some deprivation, some emotional, psychological deprivation in her life. You weren't feeling, what's your word? Significant to anyone. Yes. And that, that lack of feeling significant, valued, important, as though what you're doing is making a contribution to the world. Mm-hmm was just the right kind of soil in which 
a, a person like a prisoner with very good keen instincts into people could plant the seeds of how significant you were to him and how important you were. And even outside of prison, people, and I'm going to say women more often, but people fall into that. Many of us have that feeling of not being loved and not being worthy, not being important, not being significant. So we are vulnerable to people that can be manipulative. How many times have you seen Dateline or something where somebody falls for a con man or, or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's practically, you know, soup du jour for them every every evening when they when they put those shows together. So there are lots of people walking around feeling insignificant. And when someone shines a glowing light in you and you are basking in that glow, that's when you're getting seduced. That's when you're getting set up. That, that's right. You know, and I say it was like pouring water on a dying plant. I mean, it was just... I didn't even know what I was looking for. And then it found me and it was like, I couldn't get enough. And by the way, I have been on Dateline. <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you so, were yes, one of I those. fit the mold very well. Yes. But if only you were the only story like that on Dateline, then I wouldn't have made the comment. But, but on and on and on, I see them all the time. It is. That's exactly right. And sometimes the same con man you know, brings in 50 or 60 women before, before he gets busted right. and caught. So, so you're in prison and you've come out of the fog. You've made this decision. You've heard this voice that says, come on, this doesn't have to be the goo you live in forever. And so you make some decisions. Tell me about those decisions because they affect the products that you now have. So I decided that I'm, I was going to use my time in prison to, focus on myself and analyze my life and go back and explore all those old wounds and all the childhood trauma and teenage trauma that I had experienced, the trauma of losing a daughter at birth that I never dealt with. Uh, all these things, I needed to bring them out into the open and really face them instead of burying them and pretending like they didn't exist. And I also realized that I could not lean on anyone else to pull me through this, I had to stand on my own. And I had to even resist those who wanted to carry me through this path because I didn't need to be carried. I needed to stand alone and I needed to find my own way. What, what do you mean by resisting people who wanted to carry you? Well, for instance, you know, I knew I couldn't, I, I really loved John Maynard, the man I helped break, break out of prison. But I knew I couldn't stay in that relationship because then I would lean on him to find my self-value mm. instead of leaning on myself to find it. So I had to kind of cut ties, even ties that hurt to cut so that I could move forward. And, you know, with those family members who wanted me to never talk about my story and never bring up my story and pretend like it never existed. Well, that's what I'd done my entire life. That's what got me to this point was pretending like none of the bad things ever happened. Mm. I was not going to do that again. So I had to knowingly and lovingly let go of people who were important in my life so that I can move forward. That's a significant thing that I don't think gets enough conversation. That so many times when there's been something tragic in our lives or 
particularly in your case, you know, many of the folks that I've interviewed on the Morning Glory Project have had tragedies happen to them. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a tragedy that was a mistake on your own part. It, it was of your own volition. So many times when people have made mistakes or or even when tragedies have happened to them also, they're urged not to talk about it or they feel like not talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's, you know, I always say boogeymen live in the dark, you know, boogeymen live in the dark. And when we shove a story down and away and pretend it isn't so, that doesn't mean you have to talk about it, you know, the first time you meet somebody. It just means that it's no longer a secret. It's no longer a boogeyman d- deprived of light. And so it sounds like you're saying that there were people that are still in that habit of let's tuck it away. And that's how you got in the problem in the first place. That's how I got in the problem in the first place was that I didn't acknowledge the grief in my life or the hurt in my life or the wounds in my life. I just pretended like that's right. I just prevent pretended like everything was perfect and I was just going to move forward. That doesn't work. That just doesn't work because you're lying to yourself and you end up keeping secrets. So for most of my life, the people I kn- that were a part of my life didn't even know I had a baby daughter that died because how do you bring that up? You know, it just doesn't come up in conversation. So then you feel like, oh, when you want to say something about her, you can't because you've never told them the story. So you just, it's unnatural. Well, or because it might upset them or it might... It might make them uncomfortable or it might make you cry or whatever. Whenever we've had a pain or a loss or a mistake or something we're ashamed of, we're we're protecting ourselves from the emotion of it, but we're also protecting other people from whatever reaction. I know that, that, for example, when I I, I lost twins at pre-birth, and I know that if when I say that to somebody, they always go, oh, I'm so sorry. There's Mm -hmm. this big reaction. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Exactly. That is exactly it. You don't want to make them uncomfortable, so you keep your secret. And that's another kind of wound. Yes. Yes, it is. That's another kind of wound to yourself. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, so... So that's all the setup. And so now you've served your 27 months and you decided to tell this story that this was going to be part of your life. And I, I, I think of your story, Toby, as not a happy ending story because there still is loss. There still are people in your life that you've lost and that you don't have connection with. You're estranged from family members and loved ones. But I think of it not as a happy ending story, but sort of as a happy beginning story because you then went on to create. And so you've created four things. (laughs) One of them is a three-part thing, and that is your your series. Tell me a little bit about that first, because that was the first thing. Yes, that was the first thing. So I went to a Women's Starting Movements conference in Chicago in 2019. And on the train ride home, I mean, that conference just pumped me up. And I felt like, you know, I needed to find how I was going to make a difference in the world. And I realized on that train ride home that the act of going back through my life while I was in prison and digging out all that old junk and working through it and healing it is really what saved my life. Hmm. And I was so grateful that I had the foresight to do that. But I started thinking that a lot of the women that I met in prison and many of the women who came to me for help after I was out of prison 
didn't have the life experience or the education to know how to go in and do that, to dig those things up in their life and work through them and build these characters of of uh, discernment and purpose and faith and vision. They didn't know even know what those things were. So I decided well, I could create a workbook that teaches these personal development characteristics to help these women be stronger women and, and evaluate their lives. And then that was the first workbook. And the first book, it's called, by the way, it's called Butterflies Unleashed. It's Butterflies Unleashed, yes. Butterflies Unleashed, which is a journey of transformation. That's a personal development workbook. Okay. And then the next workbook is Be Unleashed, and it's a story of community. And so I also realized that many of the women I knew who had gotten themselves into bad places or, or into prison or, you know, in a battered women's shelter or somewhere that they didn't want to, their life to go happened because of the company they kept. And it's so important that we surround ourselves with strong women who can lift us up and that we also lift up because it's just as important to give to a community as it is to receive from a community. So the Be Unleashed book is all about how to cultivate a healthy community that lifts you up. And that's, by the way, that's spelled B-E-E, like bumblebee. Yes, bumblebee. Because right. there's much to be learned from the community of bees. <laughs> that's right. The bees are a sisterhood and uh, some of the stories. So throughout these workbooks, I also tell the story of the insect that I base the book on so that you can see if, I mean, if these things happen in nature and they're so critical to the life of a species, well, of course they're critical to us. And so it makes them more significant, I think. So we've got Butterflies Unleashed, Bee Unleashed, and the third one? And then Dragonflies Unleashed. So dragonflies are unique. They can see in every direction because they have this unbelievable vision. So the Dragonflies Unleashed is an elevating uh, adventure, I call it. And it's for those women who feel called to do something, but they don't quite know how to identify what that thing is. So Dragonflies Unleashed is all about, you know, finding the thing that sets you on fire when you think about it, the thing that you would work on even if you didn't get paid for it because it's that important to your spirit. So it's kind of some ideas and some exercises and some uh, contemplations about how to find that thing that's your spark and then how to set it on fire and take it out into the world and make the world a better place. I just, I, I love your descriptions of these and your choice to use nature as an inspiration, Toby, because they also, it strikes me as first it's the inner world, then it's, I need other people. And then it's out to the world. Yes. <laughs> it's this yes. Sort of, that's right. Uh, perfect poetry of, of motion in that. So subsequent to that though, now you've written, the story of your story. And that's your memoir called, and I love this title, by the way, Living with Conviction. I just think it's a perfect title for what you've done. Thank you. And tell me about Living with Conviction. And I also know that uh, that Lifetime is doing a film related to this. They, You didn't get to write the film, but they've done a film inspired by your story because there are lots of interviews with you out on the Nightline included. So tell me about, and that one's called Jailhouse Lovers. It airs. I think that's what it's called. Jailhouse Lovers or Jailbreak Lovers, something like that. It airs July 2nd. July 2nd, 2022. Yes. Yeah, so in just 
six weeks or something from, like that. From when you and I are having this conversation, someone might be listening to it later on. Well, that's correct. That's correct. So tell me about living with conviction. And, and as I read this book, I realize that you're emphasizing a different thing than people might be thinking that you're going to emphasize in the story. Tell me, mm-hmm. tell me about your, this memoir and, and what your intention is with it. So my intention with this book is to reach women who also have a fire in them to make the world a better place and to inspire them to start putting that in motion. Because I believe every one of us was born with a purpose and a skill that only we can offer. So there, you know, there's thousands of teachers, but the way each teacher teaches is a little bit different than the other teacher. And we need them all. Whatever that skill is that you can bring to the world, if you don't find your voice and spread your message to the world, then the world is what loses because we've missed that significant thing that you only you could bring to us. So living with conviction is all about, I mean, not only did I have to learn to live with a conviction, which is a difficult thing to do, but I also turned that around and conviction is a strong word about something you believe in so deeply that there is no way you can be detoured from that path. So it's a bold way of, of taking your message out into the world. And that's really what the book is about, how I found myself in this most dark place and use that darkness and that um, rock bottom. I always say, you know, rock bottom provides a really strong foundation to build a new life on because you can't go any lower. And the only thing you can do is go up. So really rock bottom, I found was a pretty good place to be. Hmm. For a little bit. I didn't want to stay there. No. <laughs> um, but the story is about, you know, how I found the strength and what inspired me and and what I went through to finally come out on the other side and have a vision and a purpose to take to the world. Well, you know, that rock bottom thing, I haven't ever heard it said quite that way, because in recovery communities, a lot of people talk about bottom. Mm-hmm. you know, hitting bottom mm-hmm. and all of that and how and what a miserable place bottom is. But of course, if you're talking about your bottom in terms of recovery, it means that's as low as it went and things are up from there. Yes. But I hadn't thought about it being a firm foundation before. <laughs> that's an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And you write in your in your press material, you say, we shine our brightest through difficulties. We are greater than our worst mistakes. What we do matters. Strangely behind bars, I found freedom from duty, fear, and perfectionism. I used my time to find myself. Live your life with conviction. Change the world. You know, we have no idea what the quality of the Lifetime movie will be. We've not yet seen it at the time of this recording. It could be inspiring and amazing, or it could be sensationalistic and crazy. Who knows? Mm -hmm. We have no idea that this is not something you wrote or authorized or any of that. This is somebody else producing their materials. I hope they do your story justice. And I hope what they really do is that they get the real motivation of your story, that this isn't, this isn't a jailhouse romance story. This is about that being a tragic mistake. And uh, you're choosing not to live as though you are a mistake, but that you made one and learned from it. That's exactly right. 
So these workbooks, I, I invite people to, you can go to Toby's website. That's where you can find these books at tobydoor.com. If you, I think they'd make a fabulous gift set in my personal opinion. I'm not here. I don't get any money, by the way, for selling people's books. I just think they, they would be. And perhaps even for young girls, uh, for teens, would, would particularly that first one and could, could really be a meaningful thing. And then, of course, your memoir, Living with Conviction. Toby Dore, thank you so much for visiting again, being the bloom that you are and sharing this extra blooms edition of the Morning Glow process. Thank you, Betsy. I'm thrilled to be here. And just remember, none of us are our worst mistakes. I think it'd be pretty hard for most of us to sit with Toby Dore for any length of time without feeling a new level of energy and inspiration. She has gone to the depths and looked inside and worked some things out, but she didn't just stop there. She went inside and worked on herself. She looked at her community and she looked at the wider world. That's why I'm so excited about her Unleashed series. But you know, Toby said something to me today that in our conversation that is a real extra bloom for me and another way of looking at things. You know, I've talked with a lot of guests on the Morning Glory Project, people that have had tragedies happen to them, people who have made tragic mistakes. And Toby said, when you hit rock bottom, you realize that rock bottom is a pretty good place to build a firm foundation. I've never heard it said quite that way before. A lot of folks in recovery talk about hitting bottom and that that's just too hard of a place to stay, so they grow from it. So this kind of is compatible with that in a way. It's a pretty nice extra bloom. If you're at a rock bottom kind of a place, either because of your own choices or because of things that have happened in your world, maybe it's time to start building. I'll take that as an extra bloom for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. I'm honored by the gift of your time, and I hope that wherever you are, that you are finding a way to bloom.